Hey, some awesome stuff I just want to celebrate, and then, and then we'll jump right in this morning. Uh, I, we mentioned this a couple times. Last week, we had about 90 of our students and coaches go up to Prescott uh, just for their, their winter camp. And um, in, the, in the context of that camp, about 30 students raised their hands to, to either recommit their life or say yes to Jesus for the very first time. And so we need to celebrate that. It's awesome. It's awesome. Love what they're doing um, in ministry. Uh, Ryan Chasen, our missions pastor, and Justin Rodriguez, uh, one of our children's pastors, this morning are on uh, a 200-mile bike ride uh, for one mission. And uh, based on what this group was able to raise this year, um, they're building 27 homes for working families in poor areas in Mexico and El Salvador. So we want to celebrate that, too, that we're a part of... Uh, what God is doing through that, um, so awesome, and I'm glad he's doing the, they're doing the 200 miles, and we're not. Aren't you? Aren't you thankful for that? Some of you are like, eh, I don't know, 200 miles, that seems easy, not a big deal, unless you actually ride a bike, and then you realize that is a long, long way. Uh, and then I just want to say thank you for those of you who have just continued to be faithful in your giving here at McDowell. All of these things that we talk about are uh, pictures of what your uh, investment is doing in the kingdom. And your faithful giving has just set us up in an incredible way to continue ministry uh, in the walls of the church, but also outside of the walls of the church, which is really, really important. So thank you for continuing to, uh, to give and be a part of that. You can give in the room today in one of the black boxes online. You can give at mcdowell.church slash give. If you're new today, thanks so much for joining us. I know it's tough to walk into a new place. I know some are back for the first time. It's your first time being back, and uh, welcome home, I'd like to say. It's so good to have you back in the room or um, here. If you're new, if it's your first, very first time, there's a room in the back um, called the Connect Room. We'd love to meet you face-to-face, -face, answer any questions you might have. We want you to know it's a safe place to explore faith and take steps of faith, and we want you to do that today. So my hope is that you take a little step of faith toward Jesus today, and um, we're going to open up God's Word and, and, and jump in. So we're in this series called Flip the Script. Hopefully you have a journal. If you don't have a journal in your hand, or you didn't get one um, last week, we don't have enough to give you two, but if you didn't get one, and um, we have some, you can grab after the service, or you can, go, you can get up now and slip back and grab one in the room. We'd love to put one of these in your hands. We have seven churches around the country that are partnering with us this time uh, to go through this. So it's kind of cool to have a number of uh, churches from around the country that are walking on this journey together. So um, if you have this, pull it out because we're gonna, I'm going to actually have you turn to a page. You're going to feel like maybe you're back at school, uh, some of you. Um, there's such good stuff in here. I hope you walk through it this week. One of the things we're doing in, in terms of our liturgy, now that's a, that's a big uh, churchy word, so let me explain what I mean by liturgy. Liturgy means literally the work of the people, and that means I'm going to ask you to work today. Are you ready to work? Oh, maybe you'll get there. So we're going to work together, and a little liturgy that we put together for this series is that we're going to uh, worship a little bit through music, and then we're going to open up God's Word and, and understand a part of the parable. We're going to lean in and work at it. Then we'll have some response time 
um, some more music uh, to help us with worship, but a response time where we can actually respond to God, and then I'll wrap us up uh, on the backside of the parable and give you some work to take with you home. Oh, okay. Last week, uh, Cameron kicked us off in this series, uh, a great word, and he asked this question, how is it with your soul? I love that question. It's an old question by Wesley. How is it with your soul? And he opened up this first parable of Jesus, which was the, the parable of the sower. We have this picture of a sower walking around a field and just throwing, scattering seed everywhere. And he, he's, it seems like the sower is irresponsible with how he throws the seed because some falls on the packed ground and some falls on good ground and some falls on the rock, rocky soil and some on the thorns. And Jesus is painting this picture of how it is with our soul or our hearts and minds, our internal self. And I love just digging into that question of how is it? Like what kind of soil do you have in your life? And the beautiful thing about God is anytime we turn to him, he's willing to come in and work the soil, you know, to, to open our hearts and minds in a new way. In the Old Testament, and we, we, you read this in the journal this week if you've been walking through, that, that God actually says he wants to take out our, our heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh, which is this soft, moldable heart. And that's what God wants to do for you and for me. And listen, I'm not going to have you raise your hand, but my guess is if I asked you this question, all of us could say there's a, there's a little bit of um, hardness or, or there's some stone in my heart. Like I, it's, there's some places that are difficult in here. Maybe something done to me or something that I've done that I haven't recovered from. And there's just some challenges in our hearts and God wants to, he wants to redeem it and he wants to move you to a, a place of joy and hope in your life and he wants to do that in me and Jesus helps us to learn to do that. So a parable literally means to set alongside. So parables are stories, uh, relatable stories, especially in the context that they were told. So when Jesus told stories in that context, people understood and were challenged by what he was, what he was saying and these stories, these relatable stories demonstrate the shocking announcement um, and the human realities of what happens when, when Jesus uh, reveals God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Are, does that make sense? So these parables, these stories, um, Jesus is proclaiming something. There's something in these stories that he's proclaiming and he's revealing Something about the human experience, something that happens when, 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 when God's kingdom is opened up here on earth just as it, is, as it is in heaven. And with that comes a new experience for us as humans. How many humans do we have in the room or online? Do we have some humans in the room? I hope so, because Jesus wants us to be open to God's kingdom and experience it. And, and that's why we're digging through these parables. Now, I have to tell you... Um, when we planned out this series, I didn't know I was going to be gone last weekend, and the parable of the sower is one of my favorite parables, and I told Cameron, I was like, I'm so bummed that I don't get to preach this one, because I love it so much, and, and then as I looked at the second parable, I realized this is one of the hardest parables in all of Scripture. It's one of the most difficult, and so I'm going to ask Cameron to come up and take my place today. Um... It's one of the most difficult, 
And what's interesting about this parable, and I want us to, to hear this, scholars for hundreds of years have been studying this parable and have difficulties with it. Just like you're going to have a difficulty with it. Just like I have some difficulty with it. Have I piqued your interest yet? You're like, what's the story? There's some challenges here for us. And I want us to be careful on a couple of different levels. Um, I want us to be careful not to, try, not to read into the story that which is not there. Does that make sense? I don't want us to hear what the parable's not saying. Sometimes you can, you can dig too much into all the details and try to make it say what it's not actually saying. Are you, does that make sense? So be careful with how you read the stories like that, but there is this announcement that Jesus is making in this, this picture of an experience for us that he wants to unfold. And it begins with a simple question that Peter asks Jesus. Peter comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, how many times should we forgive someone who sins against us or who hurts us, does something, who wrongs us? How many times should we forgive them? And then Peter, feeling pretty good about himself, says seven times. And you, like me, outside of the context of the first century world, would be like, okay, why seven times? Like, what, is, what does that mean? Well, in the biblical world, seven times is this number of completion. Like, if you do something seven times, it's complete. It's full. And so, you know, I'm sure five times seemed like a lot. You know, if somebody hurts me five times... Five times is enough, right, Jesus? But Peter's like, no, I, I can do it seven, the number of completion. Is that enough, Jesus? Seven times. One, two, three, four, five. I'm not going to stop there. I'm going to give him two more times, you know, seven lives. It's a great idea. Seven, seven, Jesus, is that's enough. And Jesus, as you see, says, no. Not seven times, but 70 times seven. Which is Jesus' way of saying, Every time. Like you can't count how many times you should forgive somebody who sins against you. And there's some challenge there for us, isn't there? Like really? I mean, when I was first married, Robin just left the cabinets open every day. And so 70 times 7, I was thinking to myself, 490 days... So a year and a half, something like that. That's probably enough, right? And so we think, oh, that's a, that's a big number. And Jesus is saying, no, no, no. That's like, stop counting. Stop counting. Like you, like we have in our mind, there's, there's like this number that gets to a place of being even. Uh, I love how N.T. Wright says it. He says, if you are counting how many times you are forgiving someone, you aren't forgiving them. You are delaying retaliation. That's funny, but it's also convicting, isn't it? You're not forgiving. If you're counting, you're still holding something against that person, which means you're not forgiving them yet. And so then Jesus goes into this story. So if you have your journal, you can, you can turn to page 14. It's the unforgiving um, servant. And Jesus says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king. Now notice he doesn't say, therefore God can be compared to a king. He says the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. So the king had loaned out a bunch of money 
And in the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owned, owed him millions of dollars. And the number here, and this is where sometimes we miss the context, the number that he, that he, that he puts in is absurd. There is no possible way this man who has borrowed this amount of money, there's no reason, number one, to borrow this amount of money, but there's no way the man could ever repay him. Millions upon millions of dollars, just absurd number. So he brings the man before him. He couldn't pay, so the master said, look, uh, I'm going to sell everything. You, your wife, your children, which seems really crazy to us. This is kind of how they did things back in the first century is, they would kind of sell them off as, as slaves or servants. That's how you kind of worked against your debt um, to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and he begged him and he said, please be patient with me. Be patient with me and I'll pay it all. And the listeners here probably would have been like, you can't, like there's no possible way to pay that entire amount. Like it's just ridiculous. And he says, just be patient with me. I'll pay it all. His master was filled with compassion for him. Or the text here says pity. Um, compassion is another word that you could, you could put there. So the master, the king, had this compassion for him, and he released him and forgave his debt. Another reason, this, like we lose the context, because there would have been a gasp. There definitely would have been a gasp. Oh, like, who would do that? Who would forgive that kind of money? But when the man left the king, he, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a Starbucks card because he had borrowed money for coffee. I mean, literally, the, the amounts of money here that they give us, that, he, that Jesus gives us, are so far apart. And we, we, sometimes we just miss it. Like, it's just so far apart. Just thousands of dollars compared to the millions. And he grabbed him by the throat. I mean, imagine this. He's just been forgiven. How much? Millions. Millions. And he grabs the servant by the throat and demands thousands. After he was just released from millions, he grabs him by the throat and demands thousands. And his fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. And notice the language that the servant uses here. Be patient with me and I will pay it. It's the same exact language that was used just a few verses before that, that he had used on the king. Are you with me still? Uh, thank you. That's awesome. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. And when some of the other servants saw this, they were upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened, and the king called the man in, and he said, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. I had compassion for you. Shouldn't you have that same kind of mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? And the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. And that's what my heavenly father would do if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Whew. That's, a, that's tough to preach on. So let's just deal with the first half. Give me some time on the rest of it. I think one of the, the, the powerful things and where the gasp, where the first gasp would come from the crowd was this, 
immeasurable debt that was forgiven. Right? And I think sometimes we miss the immeasurable debt that, that we've been forgiven. And I think, actually, until we, we begin to understand and, and, and recognize that, that immeasurable debt, it's difficult for us to forgive our brothers and sisters because we haven't really, we haven't really experienced or leaned into or, or received the forgiveness that God has for us. Are you, d- does that make sense? Are you with me? Like, sometimes it's difficult to give something when you don't really know what it's like because you haven't fully experienced it. And so here's what I want us to understand. Is that God loves us. He loves you. God loves you. And he has more mercy and grace for you than you could ever imagine. And I know there's at times in our culture especially there's this thought that I'm a we're pretty good people right we're pretty good people I haven't murdered anyone this week I haven't cussed anyone out even out loud like I've been faithful I showed up at church or tuned in online you know you know what I mean like we're pretty good people we're pretty good. And so, yeah, God maybe forgave. I mean, maybe I had a thought in my head, or maybe I was mean to somebody, or, you know, I wasn't as generous as I should. But I'm, but I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. And you're pretty good, most of you. Maybe not all of you, but most of you are pretty good people. But when we really dig in, I think it, Without God's grace, I think we all need to realize that we're, on our own, we're lost. I mean, we're dead without God's love and his grace and his mercy in our lives. We have no standing. Pretty good, just, I mean, how good is good enough? At what level is the good good enough? And and so, uh, on our own, and and I know, I get it, because I, I wrestle with this too. Like, what really have I done? Let me ask you a question. Have any of you done anything or said anything that caused pain to other people at any point in your life? (laughs) Right? All-inclusive there. Like, all of us have done something that we wish we could go back and change. Do Do you have anything like that in your life? Yeah, all of us. And if you can't remember it, just go back to middle school, and I guarantee you there's something there. And all of us, in some ways that we aren't even aware, contribute to the evil that hurt other people in, in ways that we don't intend, but it's just a part of human nature. We just, because we are, I mean, it's hard to say this, but it's just true. We're just selfish people. Anybody, you know what I mean? Like, are you selfish? Like, we're just selfish people. And because we're selfish people, we just tend to hurt other people because we look out for our own interests and sometimes we ignore you know I make jokes about people driving on Shay listen the reason I sometimes am frustrated by that is because I'm selfish 
It's because I think I need to get where I'm going before you need to get where you're going. And if you only knew how important my thing was, you might step aside or move over to the slow lane. And I know I joke about that, but my impatience has to do with my selfishness. And all of us are in that boat together. I figured there wouldn't be any amens in there, but it's just true. I mean, like, and, and God, in his compassion, in his compassion for us, like, he's created us to hit the mark as humans, and we miss the mark. That's what sin means. Is, is, it's, it's actually an archery term, which means to miss the mark. Like, we miss the mark all the time, and you know it, don't you? Like, you know you missed the mark. I mean, we all do. We just missed the mark. And God, in his compassion, looks at us and says, I I forgive you. Like, I didn't create you to do that, but I still, like, I forgive you for that. When we turn back to him, he just, he has this unlimited amount of grace and mercy for us. It's unbelievable. And I don't fully understand it, and I know it's difficult to comprehend I mean, even Paul, who wrote much of the New Testament, you know, as he was trying to work it out and write it, like in Romans, he says this. I love this passage where he says, um, and I'm convinced that nothing, I'm convinced that nothing in all creation can ever separate us from God's love. Is that not an awesome statement? But I think Paul wrestled with it. Sometimes we read it and we think, oh, well, that's easy for him to write. I don't think it was easy for him to write. This is the same man who said, the very things I know I should do, I don't do. And the things that I don't want to do, I end up doing. Like he really needs a counselor. Like us. He's the same one as he's working all this out and as he's being transformed by the Holy Spirit And I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, not our fears for today, our worries about tomorrow. Not even the power of hell itself can separate us from the love of God. Oh, I love it that you respond to that. There is something about that that just, and he continues. He doesn't stop there. Not even the power of hell. No power above or below Indeed, nothing in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus. Like God's love for us, if, if it's hard for us to understand, we don't have to look any further than Christ Jesus. It's the revealed love of God that he was willing to lay down his life for us. And that, in that, we receive forgiveness and grace and mercy. And I, I, I realize, and some of you may be new and you're like, this sounds really churchy. It is churchy because the church like takes hold of it because it is the power in which we are freed to become people of forgiveness when we receive the forgiveness. There is power in receiving the love of God because it's the way that we become more loving is through his love for us. And if we rest in our sin, and if we rest in our pain, and if we rest in our bitterness, and if we rest in our anger, and if we rest in all of this, then we begin to transmit those very things to the people around us. I mean, you've heard the little clever saying, hurt people hurt people. It's true, 
And it's because if we allow those things to rule over our hearts and minds, look, most of us, we're selfish. We, we have anger and bitterness in us and resentment, all of those things. If we sit in that long enough, that very thing will be passed to our children and our spouses and our friends. It's the thing that begins to seep out of us. And that's why I think Jesus wanted us to understand that when, when we recognize the incredible grace and mercy and freedom that comes from God, we can actually transmit those very things to the people we love and care about. Come on, church. And that's how the world changes. That's how the world changes. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. We don't just sing the song. We believe it to be true. When we stand in your love, your love can be transmitted through us to the people around us. John, in one of his letters, 1 John, um, says this. Uh, he says, if we claim we have no sin, so just to make it clear, if we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves. We're only fooling ourselves. If we claim that we have no selfishness inside of us, if we claim we have no bitterness or anger, we're just, we're fooling ourselves. And we're not living in the truth. But, I love that word in scripture. One of my friends said, I love the big butts of the Bible. <laughs> Did I say that out loud? We're not living in the truth, but if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to punish us. No, to forgive us and then cleanse us of our evil or wickedness. Isn't that good news? I mean, come on, it's good news, church. And it's when we stand in those things, when we lean into those things, when we receive those things, when we surrender ourselves to those things, that we are transformed and then we transmit those things to the people around us. So there's this, um, th there's this leaning into God's grace and resting in his grace. So we begin to be transformed and then we turn to the work of not transmitting the pain, but transmitting the good, the love, the grace, the mercy. Does that make sense? So it's being transformed so that we can transmit something a little bit different. Uh, when we begin to fully comprehend and experience the grace and mercy given to us, we can't help but embody that same level of grace and mercy to those who hurt us. And the, the, the New Testament is, is the writings of the early church as they're walking this out, this trying to understand, number one, how to live in God's forgiveness, how to receive it and rest in it and be transformed by his, his spirit. But then also, how do we live amongst each other in light of this? So remember, we said parables are relatable stories that both announce uh, the coming of God's kingdom, and something we can begin to experience as humans, as the ways of heaven come to, to the earth that we live on, right? And so there's something about this that, that I think Jesus wants us to understand in our interpersonal relationships that we need. So a couple of passages of scripture that 
I think in the, in the New Testament, Paul is, is walking this out with, uh, with the early church. Uh, make allowance, he says, for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. And that's based on what? Remember the Lord what? Forgave you. So our forgiveness towards one another is based on his forgiveness that comes first for us. So it's when we receive that we're able to give. And if we don't receive, we're not able to give. So make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. And he says, just remember, like, it's a struggle. It's not easy to forgive other people. But remember, keep in your minds, keep fresh within you. It's why I think communion is a great reminder to us on a weekly basis, the forgiveness that we have with God. Because then it's fresh. We remember that he forgave us, and it gives us the freedom then to walk that same thing out with others. In another place in the New Testament, in Ephesians, I believe, he says, instead, be kind to one another. And the way it's translated is tenderhearted, but I think the actual, like, literal translation is big-hearted. Have a gigantic heart. Not an enlarged actual organ in your body, but have a gigantic heart and love for, uh, for one another. Forgive one another just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Again, our forgiveness for one another is based on what? God's forgiveness for, that, that's made known in, in us. So this idea of, of being a, a, a people who forgive is not just a matter of, of like, trying harder. Because, listen, when people hurt us in really deep ways, with deep scars that last for years upon years, it's not easy to forgive them. And I know when we hear these words of Jesus, it's like, ah, oh, it sounds great. But there's just so much there. There's just this pain and this deep scar. I don't know if I can. Some of you have said that, haven't you? I don't know if I can. I don't know if I can forgive that person. It just went so deep, Matt. And I still have the consequences of what was done to me. And so forgiving is not as easy as Jesus makes it sound. I think you're right. It's not as easy. It's easy for me to get up here and say, look, Jesus said to forgive each other, so we should forgive each other. All right, let's have a good day. But when you dig up some of the stuff that's down deep in there, it just is not easy. And you may say something with your mouth, but there is something deep within your heart and your mind that you feel like it's just, you, I'm never going to get over. And I don't know that I can ever forgive that person. In your journal this week, as you work through, there's going to be a couple of quotes that you find by a woman named Corey Ten Boom. And Corey Ten Boom was um, in some uh, in a concentration camp and experienced things that no none of us could probably imagine. She experienced the reality of those things, 
And after um, she was freed and would talk about God's love and forgive, she would talk in churches about God's love and forgiveness. And she tells a story about this, uh, the, the time that she's speaking about his forgiveness. And uh, after the service, she notices one of her, her uh, former guards from the camp is making his way down the aisle to see her after she just spoke on God's forgiveness. She talks about the, the challenge of that. How, how do I forgive someone who has caused so much pain, not just to me, but my family and my people? How can I do that? And she talks about the, the spirit that lives in her she would say that it was the Spirit of God that moved her arm to an extend an act of forgiveness when she still felt what was deep within her. N.T. Wright, um, I think it was, I had to read this like five times. N.T. Wright is one of those deep theologians that you have to read and you're like, I'm not sure what he just said. And I had to read this one a few times. He says this, if you close your heart to forgiveness, why then you close your heart to forgiveness? And I had to just keep rereading that and I was like, is there a misprint there? I don't know that I'm understanding what he's saying. And he's speaking about this parable, the unforgiving servant, and I think what he's saying is that this unforgiving servant who closed his heart to forgiveness for the person in front of him had also closed his heart to the forgiveness from God. If you close your heart to forgiveness, why then you close your heart to forgiveness? Does that make sense? So I want a little quick exercise. And then we'll be, we'll be done. And I'm going to trust that God's Spirit will take from the story what you need and, and do what he needs to do within each one of us. Um, we have these, these beautiful muscles in our body, organs called lungs. They're awesome, aren't they? Like, I mean, they keep us alive. They're awesome. We don't even think about them, do we? I mean, sometimes we have to think about them, but we, most of us don't even think about them, but they're there. They do their job, and look... You can take a deep breath. You can breathe out. And most of us don't think about them until there's a problem with them. And then we think about them a little bit more. But I want you to take a deep breath in for a second. Just, and then let it out. Let's do it again. Some of you are like, what are we doing? Like, again, let's just, and then just let it out. Now, I want us to imagine our lungs as the muscle, uh, just a, a, a metaphor, the muscle that, that is forgiveness. Now breathe in. Now, now hold it. Don't give it out. Don't give forgiveness. Just, just hold on to it. Uh, you let it out. Don't let it out. Hold it. Just hold it. Receive it. Just receive it. Don't, don't give it. Just receive it. Hold on. You can do it. You're going to die. 
Why? I mean, this is, this is how God transforms us. What he, what he wants us to receive and experience, he also wants us to give. Right? What, what we receive from his spirit, he wants us then to transmit to others. And when we receive God's forgiveness, which is life-giving, it's beautiful. It's, it's also life-giving to let it out. And if we don't let it out, we'll suffocate. And I wonder if in the parable, I just wonder if the torture had nothing to do with what, what the king did to him, but what he did to himself. Because I think a lot of times what tortures me when I withhold forgiveness from someone is the bitterness, the resentment, and the anger that actually is eating me alive. It tortures me. I think what God wants us to experience is freedom from that. But we can't experience it until we receive. We receive. So I'm going to end with these two questions. Will you, will you stand with me as we have these two final questions? The first one is this. What keeps us from experiencing life with God more fully? So I wonder for you, what keeps you from experiencing life with God more fully? So if Jesus was announcing the kingdom of God here on earth as it is in heaven, if he was announcing that, is there anything that's keeping us? And I think for some of us, not everyone in the room, for some of us, maybe it's, it's not receiving his forgiveness or maybe not giving his forgiveness. I mean, there's probably some in the room who, as I was walking through this, you had, there's just a person on your mind. And some of you probably clenched your teeth a little bit. You said, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to, like, I don't even want to go there. Maybe that's the spirit, like, working on you. And then the, the next question is, if that keeps us from experiencing God and his kingdom, what's one thing we can practice based on Jesus' teaching to change that? And for some, forgiveness is about beginning Beginning to forgive is about simply agreeing with God. You see, God has this grace for everyone, doesn't he? Like, he has this grace and love for And so forgiving someone is maybe beginning just by agreeing with God. God, I'm going to agree with you. I, I'm having a difficult time, but I'm just going to, like, I'm going to agree with you. Like, your forgiveness for that person is going to be my starting point for their forgiveness. Are you with? Does that make sense? So maybe every day this week, if, that person, if there's a person in your mind, maybe it's just saying, God, I'm going to agree with you because I, I don't want to be tortured any longer. So may God's Spirit fill you completely. May God's Spirit transform you. May you know his forgiveness and his love and his grace. And then as you rest in that, as you stand in his love, may you begin to share that same love and grace with those around you. Amen? Grace and peace to you. Have a great week.